Oh, excuse the hair. I was out in the slingshot today doing what all of us are doing, and that is keeping our tanks filled up because you just never know, do you, anymore. Um, so excuse the hair, but sure, it's my fault. All right. I'm going to talk about a really heavy subject today, so I'm hoping that you can hang in with me. You might need to back it up and play it again because I tend to talk very quickly. Since the rise of Martin Luther, Christianity has been divided down a fault line between the Roman Catholic Church on one side and Protestantism on the other. Now, the East and West Catholic traditions had divided long before. Uh, at 1034 was the official division, but there had been divisions all along the more local level. And then there are also uh, a long, there is a long list of other movements that call themselves Christian to one degree or the other but which are looked upon with suspicion by both the Protestants and the Catholics. Think of things such as the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or the Shakers, and, and we could keep going with those. There are even a few outliers that are uh, in every way that you can name it, a denomination, a sect, and part of the Protestant tradition that claim they're not part of any tradition and have zero history and are just pure right out of the, the leaves of the New Testament. And again, um, historians and theologians look at that and just kind of shake their head at it. So, what do we know about Catholics? Because I'm, I'm assuming that the majority of my listeners are Protestants or um, they're, they're more aware of what Protestants teach and think than they are the Catholics. And if you're Catholic, great. Just be aware, I'm flying over this with a great height and I'm going to have to miss an awful lot. And almost all of the nuance, all right? But it doesn't mean that we're done because I don't plan to be done doing these for a while yet. So we were told that the Catholics weren't allowed to read their Bibles, that priests were terrified, that their people would be able to open up a Bible and see immediately that the Catholic Church was a complete fraud and there'd be this stampede away from the Catholic faith. And we even um, remember those... Um, those Chick publications, Jack Chick publications, lurid and, and horrible line drawing cartoons about priests and nuns and, and their secret uh, sexual liaisons and tunnels built between monasteries and nunneries. And if you're Catholic and going, what? Yeah, yeah. You can still find these. Uh, they're still printed and they, they tend to be left behind in restrooms and rest stops and truck stops and the like. And they're still passed around. I remember them quite well. We were told, by the way, none of that's true uh, about the tunnels or the like. Uh, not, it's not even true about that they weren't allowed to read their Bibles. We were told that uh, the Catholics, in fact, tried to keep the Bible from us and burned the Bible whenever they found it because the Bible was just fatal to anything Catholic. No wonder that when, when I would try to talk to a Catholic in my early years, and try to show them about the truth that they seemed awfully confused and it seemed that we were talking past each other uh, whatever they said wasn't registering with me and what i was saying was not registering with them and we both interpreted it as meaning that the other person was not interested in the truth that the other person was being difficult may i just uh, encourage you when you're in any of those discussions whether it's about the Bible with somebody or whether it's in a discussion with your wife or your husband. If both of you are talking and both of you think you're not being heard, you're probably not. You need to back up and see what assumptions you're working off of. And it's almost certain 
that you're not working on the same assumptions at all. Well, let's review. In the first few centuries, the books that we know of as the New Testament were written and they were in circulation among the believers. Uh, they were also, there were also other books that did not make it into the final cut of the New Testament. The Old Testament was very well known and pretty much set, although there were some books that were considered valuable but did not rise to the level of Scripture. And most of those we call the Apocrypha today. And in Catholic Bibles, those are generally inserted in between the Old and the New Testament. But there were some other books as well uh, that were considered very, very useful, such as the, the, the Didica, which was a short treatise. I've heard re somebody recently say that it dates from 50 AD. Almost certainly not. Um, probably closer to 100 AD. But it's a, it's a tome, a brief tome, about how to organize the church and uh, how, why and how you are to baptize and what the form takes for most people, which is immersion, but that you can pour water on them in a certain manner if they are particularly sick on their deathbed or the like. There was a Shepherd of Hermas, a very well-regarded book. There were the Epistle of Peter, various Gospels of Peter. There were others that were considered very, very useful and hung in there for a long time before kind of being moved to the side. And just a word here, all of those things you see on a history channel or the like that will say the hidden books of the Bible, the lost books of the Bible. Well, they're not hidden or lost. We know exactly where they are. And you can, any of them that existed, you can read online for free. And none of them were kicked out because, oh, there's a truth in there that'll destroy Christianity. No, it's because they just didn't sound like, look like they came from God and there are many internal errors and issues. Some of them are even fascinating to read. I mean, I, I love the, the first book of Enoch. It's just a lot of fun. But if, is it scripture? You know, people from all religious sides have said, nah, but it's a cool book. So again, if you think, well, where can I get that? Again, unless your Google is broken, it's easy to find these things. We'll have to wait for another time before we discuss how all of these scriptures were gathered and how it was all finalized. But it might surprise you to know that that was relatively recent because even up into the 15, 16, 1700s, there were still disagreements about which books belonged where. Uh, it wasn't a widespread, but it was still there. And printers basically settled the issue uh, and printers were paid by people who wanted it the way they wanted it. Now, that does not mean that scripture was changed or altered. You know, there's not one in there that says, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery except for King Bob. You know, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is to maintain order in their kingdom, different kings decided this is the version we will be reading. Even King James, and I know the only King James people and King James only people, and they really hate this. But the fact is King James saw what the translation was and went, nah, I'm going to make some changes so that I may, as king, maintain greater control over the church, which he already had before the Bible was translated <clears throat> into the common tongue of the person of the day. So the Bible has been gathered. Now, what do we do with it? Well, why was it gathered? I know it sounds like a stupid question, but as persecutions raged off and on, according to who was emperor in those first early centuries of the church, it became quite important to determine which books were worth dying for and which books were not. 
and most people couldn't just sit down and read them and make that determination on their own and therefore they would bring it to the larger community which would bring it to a larger community and over time the books that were considered good books but not scripture were winnowed out of the process now this got a big um, boost when Constantine legalized the Christian faith it is a myth that he became a Christian and made it the official religion of the kingdom that that happened later Constantine at first made it legal and then he saw the power of it and he decided like any power it should be harnessed and harmonized and and made very predictable so he called the leaders of the this Christian church together and some wouldn't even go because they didn't approve of these councils others couldn't make it because travel was so difficult and they were old or there were robbers on the way and people get sick others never even heard that there was a council so let's please understand it's not the same as making a Facebook announcement putting on Twitter Instagram snapchat and that chat chap yes that chap um, it, it wasn't like that and so a whole lot of Christians never even knew any of this was going on but the the rulers and who considered themselves rulers and who had the fancy outfits and the the uh, palaces such as they were you wouldn't want to live in any of those stinky horrid places but those people they knew and so they showed up and then the arguments went uh, that the arguments which have not yet been settled in many places but for the larger part Orthodox Christianity these things were decided such as uh, is God uh, three and one like the Trinity uh, teaches uh, or is God the Father the only eternal one and then you have Jesus which was his created son begotten as it were only begotten and so on there were these arguments uh, that still exist uh, those that believe in the Trinity are put in this camp and those that don't are generally called Arians named after a bishop uh, Arius whose teaching didn't really win the day frankly and he was declared heretic all of that you might think these were all settled then but they really weren't and in fact we've left out the Eastern uh, Orthodox Church here in all of its iterations and it has a very rich history and a lot of real reasons for doing everything they do which is in stark contrast to the Roman Catholic but in America let's just be you know, and most people that are listening are listening in America although we tend to hit about seven nations so far uh, every week be aware that most people don't know anything about the Eastern Orthodox Church unless they live in a major city that had a vast influx of people from Poland or from Hungary or from Russia and they still have their churches there I lived in Detroit for about 10 years and they're enclaves and you could see the Orthodox churches there all right Christians would fight each other for about the next 500 years literally fight each other we're talking get together your guys with pointy sticks and swords and we'll attack you and we'll kill you because we don't agree with what you're teaching about the Spirit of God baptism or about whose bishop is more important all of this took place in the Middle East which was locked for Christianity it was a lock for Christianity but then they fought each other and Islam rose because the Christians couldn't agree with each other and in fact Philip Jenkins and several of his books details this but um, 
the Christians would sometimes even ally with the Muslims to attack another kind of Christian without thinking what the end result of that was going to be. And therefore, in just a hundred years or so, Christians lost the entire Middle East, except for very small pockets. These divisions continued. Uh, In the East, there would be a, um, a traditional broad umbrella under which there were many local traditions. In the West, Roman Catholic Church, you had unity under a religious king in Rome, enforced by armies, laws, decrees, and yes, killing and tortures. Uh, Then came the Protestant Reformation. So we can all just go back to the Bible. And you've heard that expression, perhaps, back to the Bible. I have heard it many times. It was a huge part of my religious training. Just go back to the Bible and that'll sort it all. But if you look at history, and this is not going to please many of you, but have a look. As soon as the Bible was printed in the language of the people so the people could read the Bible, it did not bring us together. Instead, divisions exploded because every man became their own pope. Every man became their own decider of what was right and wrong and formed their communities thusly. And yes, I'm using the word man here. Don't mean to be sexist. I'm just trying to be true to history. There were some women leaders, but they were just very few. It wasn't a good time for women back then. And that breaks my heart, breaks your heart. But I wanted to explain why I was using the, the pronouns I was. But our story needs to go back to those early councils where the books were finalized. Have you ever, have you ever noticed something? And the back to the Bible people need to really think about this. Have you ever noticed this? The ones who agreed upon these 27 books are our New Testament. By the way, the book of Revelation almost didn't make it. It was a squeaker. But they decided these are our books. Have you ever noticed that they didn't consider them a manual, a roadmap, a legislative tome, a set of rules on how to organize and live the Christian life? Every one of them there had bishops over many churches. That's not what was happening in the book of Acts. That's not what Paul legislated through 1 Timothy or the book of Titus. None of them looked upon this as authoritative in how they were to organize their church. And they're the ones that picked the books. It could be that they had a different view of the Bible than Protestants, and we've been talking past each other. In fact, that really gets to the heart of the matter. Both Catholics and Protestants revere the Bible. They really do. They just think it's two different things. To the Catholics, the Bible is the holy book that brought the church to us, God's gift, the presence of God on earth, not through one person, it's not just the Pope, but through the entire body, the church. And they refer to the Catholic Church as the church, the church. And for about a century, century and a half, I'm sorry, century, a millennium or millennium and a half, it was the church. Oh, yeah, you'd have the Paulicians, the Waldensians. You'd have these little pockets of uh, heretics, they called them. But the Catholics would send their armies. um, Sometimes it was their armies. It was papal armies. More often, it was one of the lords or the the knights or the kings that uh, was under their thrall. They would send and wipe out the heretics. And therefore, now, once again, the church is unified. The church then, being... uh, given to us by, you know, the Bible brings the church to mankind. The church then holds, interprets, defines scripture, and it is the church 
through which the Spirit of God speaks and through which the Spirit of God will continue to move through mankind. Not the scriptures, but the church that the scriptures brought us. If that sounds very, very odd to you, if you're from a Protestant background, I want you to listen to that a few times and and try to be empathetic. Because if you are a Catholic, that makes absolute perfect sense. These books brought us to the place where we could organize as humans, revering scripture, but listening to the Spirit of God and having it interpreted in such a way that we can be unified. All right? Now, to the Protestants, if you're Catholic, I need you to be empathetic here. To the Protestants, the Bible is a gift of God, inspired by God. Now, whether that means that every word, every number, every history, every is exactly accurate and from the mouth of God or not, Protestants divide over that. And, well, that's a problem, but they'll say the Bible is a roadmap. It is a law book. It is a legislative tome. And that's why the Protestants continually divide. There are arguments over what law, what is law, what applies, and what it looks like when it's applied. They're just never ending. And so you can have uh, a Presbyterian church, and then down the road you can have a snake handling church. They're both claiming to get authority from the same book. There's something gone sideways here. That's also why the, um, the Catholics can look at Protestants and tut, 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 while their history is littered with dead bodies, evil popes, and just predatory bishops, ignorance and the like. It's all through there. But they still revere their church. Why? Because the church is greater than a man or a group of men or a time in history where the church seemed to lurch into very horrible places. The church is still greater than that, and they are still part of the tradition. But since there are humans involved, they are not surprised that there is also evil in their history. Rather like Jehovah's Witnesses, whenever you pull up any of their old books, there are a huge number of prophecies they made which never came true. And in the books, they even said, if these don't come true, you need just to leave us. Well, they didn't come true. And the Jehovah's Witnesses quit printing them and they buy up a lot of those old books too. And this isn't a big conspiracy. This is just because they just don't want to be messed and bothered by all of this. And if you show them some of these, they will even say, well, we don't expect perfection from humans. And that can drive some of us nuts. But they're doing exactly what the Catholic Church did there. And come on, Protestants, our history is full of slavery, the subjugation of women, the mistreatment of other races. Let's not get above ourselves either. The church, as the Catholics would say, is a whole. It's a living thing. It's not a monument. The Bible will not take us back to a pristine age where there was one church, all of them behaving in one particular way. I hate to tell you that, but that's true. Next week, we'll show you an example of how that is true and how that wasn't concerning to the leaders of the day. I can remember we were on on holiday, um, what colonials Americans would call a vacation. We were on holiday. My wife and I were celebrating our 40th anniversary, and we went to our happy place. Our happy place is old San Juan, Puerto Rico. Nicest people, 
that you are ever going to meet, friendliest people you're ever going to meet. And even though it was in the middle of the summer, because that's when our anniversary was, that's where we wanted to go, and I'm glad we did. Well, we're going to be there over Sunday, and there are churches there that are closely aligned to the tribe in which she and I were raised, but we don't feel like we need to go find an Uber, take all, and no, we said right across the street is the second oldest Catholic church in the New World. Why don't we go there? My wife had never been to a Catholic service before. I said, this will be interesting for you. It'll be, you're not going to be as uncomfortable as you think. So we went and we sat near the back uh, out of respect. You know, you don't rush the front rows. You, you know, people would walk in and they would dip their, uh, their fingers in the font of holy water. They'd cross themselves. They would say some prayer. They'd move forward. And that's something Camille picked up on quickly. She said, they're a lot more reverent than we are. You know, we thought we were the strict by the Bible people, but you know, our people are talking about football, they're talking about dresses, they're talking about you know, gas lines or something, or COVID or something like this, and, and there wasn't COVID yet. Please work with me. There, but these people are coming in and immediately going into a different place mentally, spiritually. Then during the service, uh, which was almost entirely in Spanish, and I can understand Spanish, if you don't speak it like Spanish people do, which is, you know, I hear at a different speed than they speak. I read it pretty well, but I was able to follow most of it because I knew what was going on. And I'd lean over and I'd say, this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. They're reading it. And she was shocked at how many times during the service, it's all about reading scripture. In fact, it's according when you go during the year, but by, on average, more than half of the religious gathering of the Catholics, Roman Catholics, on a Sunday is a reading of scripture. And we've been raised to be told they're not allowed to have that. It was more than this. There was respect. There was all kinds of wonderful things. And, and by the way, uh, there comes a portion when they ask you to show, you know, give the sign of peace to each other. Well, I didn't know what that was years and years ago. Had no clue what that meant, but I, I knew by then. So I said, just be friendly, smile, and watch what happens. People turn to us with beatific smiles of welcome and reaching over and, you know, peace be unto you and peace be with you. And they would be saying this in Spanish until they'd look and see. And people in Puerto Rico, they speak both languages quite well. And they could kind of see in Cami's eyes, she didn't hear it immediately go into English and still smiling, peace be upon you. She felt loved and welcomed and it was a wonderful thing. Well, Catholics, I need you to know something. You walk into most Protestant churches and you're also going to be loved and you're going to be welcomed. And if you say, well, you know, I'm really a Catholic. I'm just, just visiting. Most of them aren't going to go, aha, they've fallen under a spell. No, they're going to be friendly. They may not speak the same language you do theologically, but they're, they're full of good people and they really do know their Bibles and they, well, and again, there's variations, all right? But they, they know whom they believe in, just as you do, Catholics. Protestants want to please God and they believe that God has spoken to them through scripture. They tend to be suspicious of anything that smacks of an ongoing revelation whether that be from Joseph Smith and the Mormons, or whether that be from Holy Rollers, and excuse the term, I'm having to use the term that is in use. Sorry, all right? 
or modern-day prophets who claim they receive a word from the Lord about our congregation and a word from the Lord about this and a word from the Lord about that. Protestants see division, fraud, and corruption lies that way. But the Catholics see division, fraud, and corruption lying the way of the Protestants as a whole. So who's the grown-up in the room who can settle these things? There is an answer to this. And I want to make very, 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 very plain here that I'm not pretending to be the guy that got the answer after 2,000 years. No, 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 no. I believe God has been saving us for 2,000 years. I believe that even though we've divided against each other and sometimes taken arms against each other, we're going to be surprised that we were being saved all the way by a God that loved us so much that we should not perish. We're going, we're going to have eternal life. And Jesus, we believe in Jesus. It's imputed unto us as righteousness. If you've been listening to the Galatians series that we just wrapped up, you know what we're talking about there. I'm merely saying this. I don't have a secret. But we should be paying attention to the one who has been saving us for two millennia. There may be a way we can be united in Christ, even though we look very different at the local level. And a secret to that is no secret at all. It's been staring at us in the face for 2,000 years. And I'm going to give us one example of that next week. Because this has been going on way too long for Monday morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And I look forward to talking to you about some scriptures next Monday.